Hello and welcome to Open Room Talks, a podcast which draws on Open Room events experiencing connecting people to bring you quality discussions between industry experts, innovative suppliers, and high-powered end-users on pertinent issues in a variety of sectors. I am Kiana Sapp, and joining me today to talk about the state of energy transition in Africa, I have Hoob Stockman, Atul Mattel, and Mohamed Karim. Hoob is Chief Executive Officer of OVH Energy. He's an energetic and performance-driven business leader with over 25 years professional experience. Prior to this appointment, Hoob was the head of Puma Energy International in Angola and was responsible for the overall business, which included managing retail forecourts, terminal and logistics operations, as well as B2B business for fuels, lubricants, and bitumen. Before joining Puma, he spent over 20 years at BP, during which time he was responsible for sales and marketing, as well as major projects across 15 European countries. Atul is president of the energy division at Mount Meru, who have an operational presence in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. He was born in Tanzania in 1979 and graduated with a bachelor's in engineering from the University of Manchester. Atul handles Mount Mary's overall group strategy and coordinates expansion into new territories. Over the years, he has contributed to the growth of the energy sector in the importation, storage, trading, and transportation of petroleum and LPG. Atul is a philanthropist at heart and an investor in changing the socioeconomic lives of underprivileged people. Mohammed is Vice President of Retail at Sasol Energy. He started his career at KPMG and thereafter joined Sasol Mining in 2000 as a financial accountant. Before his appointment to VP of Retail in 2017, Mohammed held numerous positions at Sasol, including Business Development Manager, Franchise Business Manager, National Retail Network Manager, and General Manager of Retail. Mohammed has a wealth of experience in highly regulated markets, as well as in downstream marketing. Thank you all very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll take over from here. I just want to quickly introduce the case for energy transition in Africa. Africa is one of the world's fastest growing and, and youngest population, with over 40% of the continent's population under the age of 15. And the last two decades, the number of people that are living in the cities increased by 90%, and this is uh, predicted to keep on increasing. Now, growing urbanization means that the energy demand is, is, it keeps on growing. And this is for industrial production, uh, cooling, and mobility. And at the moment, uh, 640 million Africans have no access to energy, uh, the highest number in the world. Now, also in Africa, the GDP per capita is less than 30% of the global average. And critical to improving the fortunes of the continent is electrification. And growth in the continent will need to be powered by reliable sources of energy for businesses. Unfortunately, African businesses uh, suffer disproportionately large energy bills and have often to resource to expensive generators to make up the gap in energy supply, which in turn limits growth of the businesses and, and the economy. Now, the other thing is that Africa is full of rich natural resources that low-cost energy technologies could have plenty of potential. And for example, Africa can have the richest solar resources in the world, but at the moment it's got less than 1% of the global installed capacity. Now, although Africa is not one of the biggest carbon dioxide emissions uh, continents, it, it is in the front line in terms of seeing the effects of climate change. A lot of the African ecosystems have been disrupted and the future impact is expected to be substantial. So if you look at all these things, there is, I think, a real case for energy transition in Africa. 
Now, moving a little bit to West Africa, uh, before I do that, if you look at the current West African energy mix, uh, biofuels, uh, which of course a lot of it is wood, which leads to deforestation, is still making up around 45% of the total energy mix, while crude oil is around 40% and natural gas the remaining part of about 16%. Hydro, solar, and all these kind of other alternative uh, energy sources are less than 1% of the total energy mix in West Africa. But there are some good upshoots in West Africa. And I'll take, I'll take you through two or three examples. Uh, for instance, in Senegal, uh, they've just completed a 158 megawatt wind farm that will supply electricity to 2 million people, uh, the biggest of its kind in West Africa. While in Nigeria, the country that, uh, that I uh, represent, there is now a, a smaller 10 megawatt wind power farm uh, planned for the north, which will go live this year. If you look at hydropower, in Ghana, it's an integral part of the total energy mix, and it provides more than 40% of the total grid electricity generation in 2018. Now, if you look at the country of Nigeria, it's got, of course, the rivers Niger, Benu, and Lake Chad, which could be a, a potential great sources for, for hydropower. And there is, uh, there is some upshoots on it, but it's not yet all um, possible to work. If you then take solar in Ivory Coast, they've just, with the World Bank, gave, gave the go-ahead for a project for 38 megawatt, which would uh, provide uh, energy to about 30,000 households and, and would reduce the emissions of 27,000 tons of carbon dioxide. So I think, I think if you look at it across West Africa, uh, there are upshoots of, of energy transition. Now, I think I come back then to the introduction. It, a lot of it, of, of economic growth, needs electricity. And I think that's where it's not about generating it. It's also making sure it reaches its end consumer. And I think that's one of the things which is a challenge for many countries to making sure that electricity uh, reaches their end consumer. So with that, I think I will hand over to Atul to talk a little bit about um, what's happening in East Africa. Thank you, Herb. So I will talk about a few countries in East and Southern Africa what we have seen in the last few years is the demand for power has grown massively. In East Africa, we have the highest power consumption in Kenya, which is only 3% of what the global average is. And you have countries like Rwanda, which are highly populated, and only 0.8% of global average. So we see there's a huge deficit of power, especially with the growing population, which Hub has already spoken about earlier. The other problem that we have is distribution of power. Africa is still not geared up for power transmission on the electrical lines. And therefore, energies like solar, wind, and so forth play a big part in this. If I'm talking about solar on its own, what we will see, I believe, in East Africa and what we're already seeing is a, a huge jump in terms of distributed energy. When I talk about distributed, it means small scale. This is up in the house, a solar panel that can provide you with power to, to power your house and so forth, but which we will not see in terms of utility, which we've seen in the Western, which is big projects, partially because of distribution and partially because batteries still being very expensive. In terms of wind, we don't really see wind taking up very fast. Again, because the biggest challenge with wind is the distribution. Unlike coal or nuclear or fuel, 
where one source of power can, can be designed to, to supply everything, we do not see this in alternative energy like solar and, and wind. The other challenge we obviously have is bell curve. Solar can only provide at certain amount of hours. At night time, there is no power. So batteries plays a big part. This will only take off in a bigger way once Africa is willing to, to adopt net metering process and also when the cost of batteries comes down. What we have also seen is a huge demand for power output coming through uh, hydro. So for example, Tanzania is building the second largest power of two, two and a half thousand megawatts coming out of hydro. Zambia is building another 720, which is all expected to come online in the next two or three years. Having said that, also gas plays an important part. Tanzania, Mozambique will be seeing a lot of power coming out of gas. Uh, Kenya has a lot coming out from geothermal. So that is in terms of electricity. But what is also going to be playing a big part, I believe, is mobility. Electric cars or EV is something that's uh, really coming up in the Western world. But I believe this has taken 20 or 30 years, and it's still not big enough to create an impact. I do not see Africa transforming into electric vehicles. One, because we're short of power. Number two, the maintenance and so forth required on this is quite a tough thing at the moment. What I do foresee, though, is that we will have electric bikes, which are probably going to replace or give a challenge to gasoline bikes sooner or later. The other thing that we're seeing very clearly is Rwanda is spearheading the move to alternative energies in East Africa. We believe Rwanda is probably going to be the first country to bring in net metering. It's also probably going to be the first country, which they already are doing trials on, where they will have mobility stations and electric stations for charging cars and so forth. So there is uh, something for us to look forward to this. And with this, I will ask Mohammed to talk about maybe the Southern African continent. Yeah, thank you very much, Atul. I think uh, very similar trends in, in terms of what, what you and Habe share. But I think from a South African perspective, I mean, what we've accepted is the world is on a path of an energy transition, which is really changing the what and how of how we produce and consume energy. And by the rising energy demand, the decarbonization, electrification, this is really changing our engagement with energy. The good news is from a South African perspective, uh, recently the South African Renewable, Renewable Energy Council, together with like the country's national development plan, recently affirmed its commitment to building the renewable, renewable energy sector in South Africa. So not limited just to government, but members of diverse stakeholders, corporates, equally recognize that the industry needs to play a more active and constructive role in, 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 in meeting the energy challenges we face as a country. So the good news is there's full alignment and support for just energy transition in South Africa. However, uh, in our country, the concerns really remain around probably the lack of a structured and integrated approach. So in terms of specific deliverables, you know, in terms of short term, medium, long term, and just with the, our recent pandemic, if you look at the global pandemic, I mean, every country looking towards taking stimulus and injecting it into the economies, and this is probably the ideal time for South Africa as well 
by potential stimulus to accelerate uh, its move towards clean and lower carbon economies. We do sit with challenges. I mean, our power utility provider, which uh, is known ESCOM, monopoly player, uh, currently, you know, in, in terms of its and, and publicly known failure in terms of providing reliable energy. Uh, and that is the single biggest threat in terms of going forward. Power utility sitting with high level of debt, uh, falling revenue, uh, rising cost, lack of capital. We've got an aging power uh, plants. So it really places the question mark in terms of continuity in the short term. However, by 2030, there is a, a plan in place and, and the plan is really around focusing. We, we're fortunate from a geography point of view, from a climate perspective, uh, from solar and wind. We're blessed from, from, from those angles. Not that we'll leapfrog the energy transition. It won't take uh, appropriate intervals and you'll have to phase it. But we're blessed with those kind of disciplines to take it forward. From an electric vehicle environment, you know, the world is lagging. I mean, there was intention of the, the world to be at a certain percentage in terms of EVs. South Africa, just to give you an indication, 1,000 EVs, uh, electric vehicle uh, cars uh, out of a 12 million car park base. And also, uh, you know, we've probably got 180, 190 uh, charging facilities. But for the thousand, just probably overcapitalized at the moment. And with the challenges we face currently, it's going to take a long time, very similar to what you've, you've mentioned at all in terms of the challenges you face, you know, price of vehicles, the reliability of uh, electricity, the import costs, all that's really becoming a bottleneck in terms of transitioning uh, probably more rapidly to that environment. And, and we can go into more detail in one or two areas. Thanks, Mohammed. Can I take for a moment the, the, the customer point of view? Do you think that our customers in, in Africa, or the, the consumer in Africa, is he more worried about availability of energy, or would he also take cost into account? Because some of these technologies might not necessarily come at a, at a low cost. So, so the question is, 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 do we need to realize that it's not just an availability issue potentially, but also a cost issue? So, Hub, if I was to jump in from an East African point of view, I think uh, first is availability. We're shortfall of power. What also COVID has done is is pushed all governments and wanting each and every government to be self-dependent. And therefore, what I believe we're going to see in Eastern African continent is a huge demand for electricity coming up for industries whether that is for few food, it is for textiles, and so forth. And a lot of additional power that is going to be coming onto the grid is going to be used up over there. So it is availability. In terms of environment, as much as I would like to say, I do not think the environmental issue plays any role in the Eastern African sense when it comes to uh, moving into electric vehicles or solar or something. It's all about just getting something available, which is where I believe solar at a distribution level will play a huge role. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, very similar to what Atole shared. I mean, you, you would think that solar and wind, and if you look at the utility scale, becoming more cost effective if you introduce these initiatives. And if you look at countries like Germany, who probably introduced initiatives in, back in 2002 and 2004, and uh, look at very expensive base solutions then, uh, and uh, probably at 9% of their 
electricity through, through, through renewables and now probably a percentage much higher. We're fortunate that we're in a space where we, in fact, if, we, if, we, if we're doing our business plans and, and, and framework now, there's an opportunity to optimize from a feasibility point of view. However, I must support what Atul is saying, especially in Africa, or at least in South Africa, very similar to what Atul has shared, availability is key. I mean, with load shedding that we have from time to time, it just destroys the economy. You know, you're losing billions. Uh, there was a calculation being done, and, and this was just uh, feedback from various media reports, anything from 60 billion to 100 billion being lost in the economy. I mean, if you go to some areas in our country, there isn't uh, electricity for two or three days and sometimes weeks. So the load shedding, you know, in terms of the levels that they have can take you out eight or 10 hours. So the availability in terms from a resident, from a business, I mean, businesses are being harmed significantly. And even if you look at the utility prices currently, I mean, which probably, like uh, Atul says, is, is secondary because availability is primary at the moment. But you pay for small, uh, you know, a service station or a small business, anything in South Africa, rand, 60 to 80,000 rand a month which is really compromising the existence and continuity of, of operations. So availability is key, but I don't think we can ignore longer term that, you know, what the cost equally is important. And so we, there's a status that, that or the, the, the graph that basically says that still uh, a large part of, of the energy in Africa is, is done by biomass. Yeah, that, uh, that's still uh, 45%. And a lot of that is deforestation as wood that is being used to basically provide energy for cooking, uh, or for heating, etc. Is maybe one part of the energy transition in Africa more about making sure that actually that part of the energy mix actually gets moved to potentially gas. And we talked as gas as an alternative, a cleaner alternative than, for instance, uh, other products like diesel. And I, I could see that very clearly in Nigeria, where, of course, uh, Nigeria is, is the ninth biggest, holds the ninth biggest uh, gas reserves in the world. And there's a huge drive from the government to bring basically gas to, to the population, being it in LPG for, for home cooking, being it for um, for mobility or for energy generation and to the furthest points of the, the country as far as to, to reduce uh, both the uh, the use of basically wood, uh, firewood to generate energy. So do you think maybe that part of the energy transition of, of Africa is actually moving away from biomass to maybe gas more than maybe um, setting up huge distribution networks for electricity? On the East African side, uh, firewood is huge. What we have seen is the demand for LPG has moved substantially. And this is double-digit, triple-digit growth year on year. Uh, will it replace wood in the short term? No. In the long term, probably yes, but probably not with LPG. The infrastructure required for LPG is huge in terms of cylinders, refill, availability of product, and so forth. What I believe it's going to replace with is more with solar uh, in the houses, gas cookers. And there's a lot of NGO and DFID money that is coming into Africa now, trying to replace the small electricity consumption, moving it into solar, whereby you can pay a monthly fee. And within two or three or four years, the equipment becomes yours. So I believe that would move, but not in terms of LPG. Reason also I'm saying is some of these areas do not have infrastructure. Even today when they move their cash crops, 
they move them on donkeys and cows because there are no roads and so forth. And for a proper distribution of power in such way, you would actually require proper roads and so forth to come in. So South Africa, a little uh, not unique in any way. Uh, however, in terms of an overview of South Africa's primary energy supply, in terms of processing infrastructure, if you look at it, uh, coal makes up close to about 74%, oil about 14%, biofuels in the region of probably 3 to 5%, renewables very low at 1%, and natural gas being 3%. But it's interesting that you raise the natural gas as an option. Because as uh, I must say, we, we, we're vigorously uh, exploring nat natural gas options and projects as a, as a strong enabler in terms of reducing our greenhouse gas and, and other emissions as we shift away you know, with the intention of moving away from uh, coal after 2030. This is a long-term horizon. Uh, however, affordable natural gas is, is very important to transform our business and probably shape uh, Africa's or South Africa's energy landscape. Uh, and, and the intention is from the middle of this decade, we want to provide more sustainability around that day. Interestingly, we also look at hydrogen because we do have hydrogen, uh, we're quite rich in terms of hydrogen. And we're looking, you know, working with technology experts to say, how do we in fact use this uh, feedstock and make sure that we can bring it into our energy mix. But must support Atul as well, once again, in terms of where we're going. And if you look at the long-term picture for South Africa as well, it's really to reduce the dependency from coal. So in 10, 15 years' time, bringing that percentage significantly down. And where you see the substitutes coming, probably wind picking up the biggest, and then solar second, and then gas probably third. So I'd go in, in terms of wind, solar, and gas, you know, in terms of the substitutes over uh, the various interval phases. No, I, I think you're right. For instance, for, for Nigeria, hydropower could be a huge source of energy, but it's, these are very big projects. I, I was in Angola when they built three dams to basically supply Luanda with electricity. Now, it was, these, these are huge projects, many multi-year. But once they work, of course, they can change your, your energy mix, like you see that in, in Ghana. But it brings me a little bit to a point of, can Africa afford it? Yeah, because... We all know from more Western uh, advanced economies that the energy transition is going to cost them potentially huge amounts of money and, and might impact even their GDP growth. Can actually Africa afford a, a major transition or is it not a question of affordability, but more a question for it, it has to do it? Any, any thoughts on that? I'd love to jump in there, Hub. I think there is a lack of commitment in Africa, especially East Africa. They're hugely dependent on uh, budgets that come in from taxes, from fuel and petroleum products and so forth. And therefore, for them to move into, for example, electrical vehicles, the commitment level is very, very low. If we also look at power costs, the cost of power globally from coal is about two or three cents. Solar is very similar. So can solar be a, a, a perfect alternative? Yes, it can. But do we have the commitment uh, as Africans and as policymakers and the political will to do it. And I will say no. There is not a single country that I know in the Eastern African continent that has still started net metering. Now, until batteries become cheaper, net metering would be the, the easiest source of moving power uh, to the national grid. But the commitment is simply not there. 
and corruption plays a big role. We cannot take that away. We, we, we try and shy away from that, but that's a huge problem that we have in Africa in general, whether it's West or East Africa. Mohamed, any thoughts from your side? Yeah, certainly there's a reality, you know, and with COVID-19 that has come through and uh, governments across the world battling to, to re-stimulate the economies and rescue the, the duration of the recessions as a result of this pandemic. I mean, most of our fiscus immediately in South Africa is directed to health like any other country. Then after that, the schemes in terms of social welfare to individuals or businesses that are in distress, then in fact, uh, thereafter, you know, you have to say, okay, where does this transition link? So the review of the fiscal and monetary instruments that are mostly effective, you know, where do we put our money and how can we uh, energize our economies? That's the conversation that, that, that we're currently having. And energy does play a space in terms of where we can uh, develop infrastructure and stimulate employment and address inequality. So the, those are equally important. But the political will and uh, the partnerships and the private uh, public partnerships are essential and fundamental. And it's going to play a greater role uh, in, in terms of business and stakeholder groups to help, whether it's South Africa or any other country, in terms of transition to a low-carbon future. But the concerns that Atul has raised equally pertinent in our country. And to address those challenges, I mean, the focus, the dedication, the commitment, the government, uh, the political world, investment into Africa, from even in, in, in existing companies that are here that are not migrating, Those are all challenges that uh, as much as you have a framework, uh, I think the world. Yeah. No, and then we touched briefly on COVID, and I think you did that already, Mohamed. In, in one way, it, it, it has sharpened, let's say, the challenge for, for Africa. Africa might be blessed that it didn't not, that COVID did not have the same uh, impact on Africa as it had on some other continents. But of course, the economic ramifications of COVID globally, of course, are also touching upon Africa, putting a lot of pressure on, on government budgets and, 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 and more and businesses. And in a way, it, it might have delayed some of the implementation of energy policies. On the other hand, it also has amplified the need of it in order to make sure that, that the people in Africa get access to energy. Thank you so much, Hub, Atul, and Mohammed, for joining on this show. It's certainly fascinating to hear about the progress that's being made in Africa in the domain of energy transition. Before you go, I have a completely unrelated question to this discussion that we ask all of our guests on this show. And it's, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? I think the best piece of advice that I've ever received is set your objective as high as possible even to a level where you might think you might never reach them because you might be surprised. I will say perseverance. Keep on going. Uh, never give up. People say sky's the limit. We say sky's where it starts. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thanks, Atul. And uh, Mohammed, how about you? I think I uh, recently had a few... Uh, But with COVID and the way our lives have transformed and life goes just by so quickly and faster than we think, for me, it will be make every minute or every second minute and moment count. Well, once again, to the three of you, thank you so much. Thank you very much, colleagues. All the best. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Open Room Talks. We hope that you've enjoyed the episode. For inquiries, please feel free to get in touch via email on hello at openroomevents.com. For details on future episodes, please follow us on LinkedIn or visit openroomevents.com. Until next time.